Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and if you enjoyed our most recent episode with John Levitt that aired on Monday, I think you will enjoy this one as well. It is part two of a four or five-ish episode mini-series of conversations with fellow podcasters and media personnel in the trail and ultra running world. This time around, we're talking with Matt Chittam, who is the host of Rambling Runner, a podcast geared towards the dedicated amateur runner, and he is also the founder of Relay, a new media collective of some of the best content creators and athletes in the running world. In this particular conversation, we talk about this new Relay venture in the running media space. We also talk about the business of podcasting and some of our favorite inspirations in other sports and realms of business, among many other topics. Before we get started, this episode is brought to you by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is awesome. You get your blood drawn, you answer a few lifestyle questions, you upload the data, and what they do is they analyze the results and they provide you with an action plan that gives you the most accurate, personalized recommendations about where you can improve when it comes to eating and supplementation in order to solve the critical diet part of the training equation. So to take action, go to insidetracker.com backslash single track. If you use that link, they will take 20% off your next order. And as a reminder, this episode is also brought to you by Kodiak Cakes and Gnarly Nutrition. If you use the code singletrack15 on Kodiak's website, that's going to give you 15% off at checkout. And if you use the code singletrack20, you will get 20% off your next order of Gnarly Nutrition at their checkout. With that, let's get started. All right, Matt Chittam, it is a pleasure to have you on the Single Track Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. I was really excited when you reached out, and I'm really excited for this call. Well, I do think we'll skip a formal intro because you've done a lot of these podcasts before, and there's a really good one you did with Mario Fraioli a couple years back who hosts the Morning Shakeout Podcast. I think it's an excellent rundown of uh, where you, how you got to where you are now and what you've assembled with the Rambling Runner. But I kind of want to talk about how I discovered you, which is via one of your shows in the network called the Business in Sport Discourse Show. And uh, I got to say, I, I really enjoy those episodes so much so that I would say a part of your work there inspired what I do here at the Single Track. So thank you. Um, I'm curious, where does your interest in the intersection of business and the endurance world come from? That's a great question. First of all, so we didn't have a lot of listeners. I loved that podcast. So we I basically that had like that had like a summer run of of uh, episodes. Me and my my friend Jason Macaluso, and we had such a fun time recording that. Uh, it actually, I know you didn't ask this, but you did ask me over email. So I guess I will I will tell you what happened. So basically, what happened was is that we had a great time, but it was on the heels of having the Road to the Trial series for the marathon trials that went really well and then people started reaching out like hey you got to do it again for the track trials because remember because of covid all of a sudden the track trials and the marathon trials were separated by a calendar year so people were like hey you got to do this again you gotta do this again mm. so coming to the end of the summer i'm like i can't have three podcasts and so i kind of put it out there like are people do people want me to do track focus road to the trials like track hasn't really been traditionally um you know, my niche, right? For me, it's more dedicated amateur runners and not many dedicated amateur runners are doing track events. So I didn't think that there was really a market for that, but lo and behold, there absolutely was. So I had to make a call. Am I going to keep doing the sports and business discourse, which had a loyal but small following or move road to the trials season two, which season one had gone extremely well. 
So ultimately, I made the call there, and uh, I don't regret it necessarily, but I do pine for the days of those of those conversations because they are really, really enjoyable. And I would say, in terms of the the intersection of business and sports and things like that, I think that's just part of being a sports fan. I mean, I don't really. I got to be honest with you. As I've grown up and and been in the business world, so to speak, and and things like that, like you can't be invested in other sports, but other main sports. Um, and not have a sense of the business side, right? Like you can't be an NFL fan and be ignorant of the salary cap, mm. right? You can't. And so, so they're so intertwined in so many other sports that like, I never even thought twice about like having them um, being intertwined in endurance sports. Mm. Frankly, I think the the major difference, I mean, there's so many differences, right? You know, lack of unions and things like that, that, that force transparency um, or just the lack of a league in general. And I don't think that's a negative, but um, it's so much harder sometimes to get information in the, in the, uh, the, the running world, whether that's yes. track, road running, or uh, or uh, or trail, but it does lend itself to a lot more wild speculation, which is you know a podcaster's dream. And I know that we're both fans of basketball, but half the fun of being a fan of the NBA is, in my opinion, the off season and wondering about collective bargaining, which is something you covered on that show, and where athletes are going to sign for the next season, what happens to free agents, what's happening in training camp, and a lot of that stuff. Uh, for better or worse, I personally think worse is either swept under the rug in our sport or just not even considered. And uh, every time I was tuning into your episodes, I felt like I was getting the closest equivalent to that in the running world. So thank you. Well, I I really enjoyed. I what I found was that not that people were entertained by the conversation, but not really wouldn't engage with the topic. So it was kind of funny. Like they just viewed it as like a, like a, a feeling of entertainment. But again, I couldn't get a broader um, sense of like people like asking me questions about like different topics. So it was um, something that I really enjoyed. And, you know, the more you think about it, the easier it is to kind of come up with some of these narratives and, and just kind of like extrapolate certain things, right? Mm-hmm. So you have like, I want to think about, I think it was about a year and a half ago, I'm sure you heard the same interview I heard. It might have been on Dylan Bowman's show where it was a, a Brooks athlete said something to the effect of, and it might have even been Cat Bradley, said something to the effect of that Brooks was going to be putting in as much resources into their trails, trail scene, their trail side as their roadside, right? And I was like, this is a fascinating quote because it could mean anything. Yeah. Right. Like it was it was juicy enough where like it was memorable, but vague enough where you could like extrapolate a million different things of what that could mean. And I, I loved it. I remember at the time thinking like if I still had that business and sports discourse podcast, we'd probably spend a whole week on that quote. Mm. There, there are so many interesting topics like that in our in our world of trail running. I mean, I, I know you saw the news today. We're recording this on Monday, September 19th. Free Trail just launched mm-hmm. our version two of their of their business, of their community, of their world. And the website, I think, is super impressive. But my mind as a business person and sort of a media nerd, I go to, uh, what are the folks that I run far thinking about this? And what what is their response going to be? They're eerily similar in terms of the content hubs and what they provide. I would argue Free Trail offers certain upgrades and is sort of like a breath of fresh air in the space. But um like those are the questions that at least as a fan of the sport, I'm kind of starved for. And uh, I think they're fun to deliberate. That's part of why I wanted to start this show. No, absolutely. And it's funny because you know that Dylan is really close with those guys. I mean, he's had some of them on his show even recently. Of course. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm like, I, I loved that. And um, Dylan and I have had, um, have developed a nice friendship 
over the past year or so and have had a lot of conversations um, about business. And I'm sure some of the things that we're going to be talking about later and some of the stuff behind the scenes and how to form um, ideas and go after different entrepreneurial ventures and trying to balance like our optimistic side with maybe our realistic side and and, and, and all of the things that they go into this. And at the same time, like trying to understand that like with all the, the shifts and how people are consuming media, how we're coming together um, to, you know, potentially by we, I mean, a universal we, not just me and Dylan, um, yeah. you know, how, how people are coming together to form groups and companies and collectives that, to, that can put out high quality media in all of its forms, the written, the audio and the video in a way that is captivating, but also something that's sustainable for the creators on the other side and not just a byproduct of like, okay, this is going to be free for a while, but ultimately I can't sustain it. And making sure that it's not like spawn con central either, or have any spawn con in it, which I think is one of those um, issues with some of the heritage running media sites. Okay. I've made a note here to come back to that. Cause I actually, I want to go deeper into that in a second, but one thing I want to touch on still with this business and sport discord podcast if I understand it correctly, part of your success as a podcaster in this space has been your willingness to experiment. And you're not afraid to try things. You're not afraid to fail. And you just look at the data and you double down on what works. Did you find with that podcast that uh, there wasn't enough of an appetite for that type of content and that people were clamoring more for like, how do I train for my next 5K and the cultural stuff? No, I don't think that. I, I I had no intention of stopping that podcast early and none of the feedback that I was getting either anecdotally about the show or even on the metric side lends itself to thinking that I needed to stop the show. Okay. Uh, it was more of a, can I actually do three podcasts <laughs> at the same time? And it was like, all right, like that's a huge lift, right? In yeah. addition to that, at the time, I, was, I also wasn't editing my show, so I was paying somebody to edit. So if that's the case, I'm also, again, I wasn't making money on the sports and discourse podcast and I wasn't making a ton of road to the trials either. So it became a point where like, all right, am I going to go into the more podcast episodes I have, the less revenue I'm going to have, because a lot of these were not revenue positive. That wasn't the, the main driver, but it was more like, can I actually have three of these episodes, three, three podcasts a week? And then one of the things that people liked about business and sports discourse was that it wasn't a once a week podcast. It was coming out like three to five times a week. And yeah. I think that was kind of the allure. And it was like, all right, like I definitely can't do that. Can I? And then there was another one that was coming up, like almost, and we don't have to dive into this because it didn't happen, but there, I was in talks with somebody else who's a good friend of mine, who's also a podcaster about joining forces for like a parenting type podcast. Um, again, yeah. this has been completely off niche for me, but me and her, like we were, we were feel like we were having like a lot of like offline, having some, some of the very similar conversations about parenting and balancing it and all this stuff. So we're like, should we do this? Should we not? And we ultimately decided not to, but that was also potentially in the works at the time. If you were at some point down the road inspired and you had the time and the bandwidth, et cetera, to restart this thing, are there any particular folks you'd want to talk with or conversations you'd want to have? Finn, if you just want to be on the show, just ask, man. You don't got to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I love that show. Absolutely. Um, and I think 
I don't know if Road of the Trials is going to come back. And if it doesn't, it's, it's certainly in with Relay, though, it, it does it, it, it does uh, potentially um, muddy the waters a little bit um, because I'm potentially talking about myself in a, in, in a sense and some of it. But um, I, I really like that show. And if it's funny because you're like the second person like this week. To yeah. come up to me like, hey, I really like that show. That hadn't happened in like six months, but it happened like twice this week. I don't know. There's probably some people who are who are probably more who will maybe lend themselves to the more believing in signs signs of things. I would say, hey, take the hint. Or people might be like, that's just an odd coincidence. But um, I would say, if anything, some of the success I've had since that show has happened would lend itself to potentially having. Um, much more in-depth conversations with people who are in the action, so to speak, um, as opposed to just me and Jason kind of, you know, addressing topics of the day, but not really having a full understanding of what's going on and not really bringing in guests. It's just kind of us talking about like what's going on in the news today um, around, around endurance sports. What do you think were the hardest conversations to have in that space in terms of the readiness of the audience and the actors involved? Like I can imagine the athlete sponsor relationship, for example, being a, a thorny topic or collective bargaining with it. Were there any episodes oh, yeah. you had where you were like, this is, you know, we're, we're experimenting here. Um, yeah, th- this is why we really didn't have any guests, frankly, you know, the, the one guest we had on was like a triathlete that Jay knew because Jason was a triathlete and yeah, Cody. And he, he was like one of the rare people who was like, he's willing to just like let it fly on a lot of this stuff, which, which was awesome. Was awesome. Um, and I think really what you probably want to do, it's almost kind of like, the endurance business version of like what you see on like a lot of NFL today shows where they get like the recently retired NFL star to come in and pontificate about what's happening in the league because they were just in it. Right. This is why Tony Romo was a lot better as a play as a, as an analyst right after he retired than he is now, because now he has to do a lot of the homework that comes along with being the best at his job, as opposed to when he first started he already had all the knowledge he needed. He could just let it fly because everything was so current. So I think that you'd probably have to go in that realm where you're like, you're basically getting, oh, Steph Bruce is about to retire. Can we get her on, you know, once her, like, her, her you know, if, if her Hoka deal expires, this is just, again, this is a complete hypothetical, but, you know, get 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 her after her Hoka deal expires, if it ever expires. Yeah. And then, you know, talk about like, hey, what was it like when like you were running a super critical EVA and all of your, all the people you're running against were running in P-backs foams, right? And she'd probably respond with like, hey, well, you know, we finished three people in the top 10 at the, the Atlanta, you know, Olympic trials. I think we were just fine. But it would be that those kinds of conversations, people who are just on the cusp of um, being involved in some sort of NDA agreement or some sort of contract, and then were finally kind of let off the leash. But uh, I think ultimately, you, you in this situation, you can't rely on those kind of conversations because if you do, you're not going to go very far. I think... In my mind, that's what makes, uh, to give another NBA example, Draymond Green's podcast so impressive is that he's still in the middle of his career as a player, and he's still calling these shots and being openly critical of certain policies and, and mannerisms and stuff like that. And is there anyone who's a more who's more contradictory than Draymond Green? He'll come on his podcast and say something absolutely ridiculous, like, "Oh, you can't talk about this player," you know, like he's he's above reproach. Right. Like you can't talk about you can't talk about NBA players. You know, they, know. They, they, they deserve the benefit of the doubt. And then like in the next episode, him and another guest will be roasting another NBA player. 
Well, I got to say there's, and this is maybe more for the audience because I'm sure you're, you're tuned in, but there's a, there's a show called the I am athlete podcast that I watch on YouTube. Every episode. I don't know that one. It's headed up by Brandon Marshall, who's a former wide receiver in the NFL. And oh, okay. Yeah. They're all sitting in the living room and they got like the the fancy pods in front of them. It's, oh, the production quality is amazing. Like they just had Stephen A. Smith come on a couple days ago and um, I don't know if it's the environment or what, but they're just the most honest and open conversations about like the state of the players and, and the culture and the owners and everything. And uh, maybe this is like a call to action for some recently retired uh, runner uh, who's who, who's listening to this show right now. Like <laughs> there's a content play here. Right. Or the runner who's like, you know what? I don't need like a fake contract where I get, you know, five <laughs> shoes a year and like a $500 bonus if I win Western States. I'd rather just run in the shoes that I like. And then it can be like, hey, these were the, th- the crazy things I was offered despite like being, you know, fifth best in the country in 2019 or whatever. Switching threads just a little bit because I know we could talk about probably sports all day. Uh, you have this podcast network, the Rambling Runner podcast network. You know, the centerpiece is the Rambling Runner but I'm wondering if you can talk about this network in detail because I'm starting to see this crop up everywhere. Like, you know, Sidious Mag has something similar. Free Trail has something similar. And uh, I guess my first question is like, in your mind, do, is it beneficial to have all of these discrete shows under one umbrella versus, for example, if I'm doing the single track here, just like whatever's on my mind goes under this show? Yeah, I think that for me, the only way I was going to branch out from Rambling Runner was if the series of content was so specific, in-depth, and the quantity so high that it necessitated a separate feed. Now, I have mm-hmm. done a lot of miniseries on the Rambling Runner, right, that didn't require another podcast feed, yeah. okay? So I've done, you know, little like little miniseries, three or four episodes here and there, someone leading up into Chicago and stuff like that. And those have been fun. I've really enjoyed them. Um, they've been beneficial. But something like Road to the Trials, we're putting out two episodes a week for like six months following yeah. five athletes. So it was kind of like a, you know, the idea was to have like a hard knocks for, you know, that genre. Right. But the podcast version of it. So having mm-hmm. it on Rambling Runner wouldn't have made any sense. It just would have been lost in the shuffle. So for me, I personally gear it towards keep everything on the main feed unless keeping on the main feed doesn't make a lot of sense. And it makes it harder for people to find it as opposed to easier for people to find it. Because there's mm-hmm. going to be a tipping point where if you break everything off, they're going to be like, where was this? Where I don't mm-hmm. even know where this episode is. Like Matt says he has his podcast, but it's not a rambling runner. It's not on this one. It's not on that one. Um, so I have the rambling runner, you know, you know, umbrella, but for the most part, it's very different than what Sidious Mag is doing, and even what Free Trail is doing, because they have different people running their shows. For me, I was the host of all of these, mm-hmm. right? So Sidious Mag is different. We're like, they got the Sidious Mag podcast and it's Chris and oftentimes Kyle Merber. But then on these other shows, you have like, you know, the Run Your Mouth podcast with David Melly, right? Or yeah. Dana Giordano's podcast. So they are, I guess, in a sense, employed through Sidious Mag. And I don't know, like, the actual terms of their um, employment there, but they're probably just contractors. But they're kind of underneath that umbrella. For me, the whole thing's always been me the whole time. So it's it really is kind of apples and oranges. Um, I think the tricky part is there really isn't a middle class for podcast um, revenue, right? You're either making 
a lot of money or you're making no money. And there's very, very few people who are in the podcast middle class. I know this because I happen to be one of them and there's like five of us. <laughs> so there's just not that many people. And that's just, that's just the economics of the genre. And it's, 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 a, it's a strange and unique thing, but that's just kind of the way it goes. So, you know, you can start all of these podcasts and they're fun and they're exciting and there's probably going to be a, a core audience that are listening to them. And that's great. But ultimately they are not um, a classic revenue stream for the people involved. And oftentimes you just have to view this as something that you love doing. And if revenue comes from it, fantastic. But if you're doing it for revenue, you might want to look in a different direction. Okay. I've made another note here to come back to the economics of the genre. That's a great phrase, by the way. But uh, one more one more question on the podcast network. And I have a marketing background. So I, I think a lot in terms of marketing funnels and how many people you can carry through to the next step. And I think one of my big concerns in this scenario is the amount of drop-off between shows. And in your experience, has it been pretty easy to communicate the existence of these other shows and to route listeners and fans to them? Or uh, has that been difficult for you? So like if I start like, so when I started like Road to the Trials, getting that in front of like or new listeners. Sport. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it, you know, I think, I think once you have something that's established or you have a core audience, I should say, once you have, once a person has a core audience in some way, shape or form, it definitely allows you to have maybe a little bit more initial burst of success when you launch a new thing, because you have a target audience that you can cater the message to. Okay. So I will say that, um, in addition to that, you also, if that's your, if that's the plan, then you also have to not pivot too much from your core message that from your previous show, like yeah. That's why Road to the Trials did far better at launch than Sports and Business Discourse because Road to the Trials was like a half a degree pivot for me <laughs> from Road from Rambling Runner. Right, the only difference was we're talking to pros instead of amateurs, but we're still focusing all on process, not like, hey, what was it like when you ran, you know, fifteen by four hundred meters at fifty six seconds? Right, like that's not the conversation. It was all process. How do you? How are you managing your time, expectations, family, etc. And that's exactly what we always talk about in Rambling Runner. Sports and Business Discourse was a very different thing. I was marketing it with the same kind of vigor and intention that I was for Road to the Trials, but it was such a different, such a different audience. Like I remember thinking, like I shouldn't even spend any time on Instagram promoting Sports and Business Discourse. I just spend all my time promoting this show on LinkedIn. And that was like that. The, Jason and I were like in complete agreement. Like we should start like a LinkedIn group. We should like get into LinkedIn groups. Like that's kind of where we thought. Like ultimately, if this show was going to succeed or or get some sort of lasting foothold, mm. that that's what we would have to do. Um, and again, that doesn't make that a bad decision. But the more far afield that you go from your original programming, the more patience you have to have, and the lower expectation that you have to have in terms of the amount of people who are going to have be have that crossover appeal. I got to say one thing about LinkedIn. So I, I recently put my two weeks notice in at work. And as a result of the, for that. Congratulations, Ben. Um, oh, That's you. awesome. Congrats. Anyway, so it, it, it's all for this podcast, but I only bring it up because you mentioned LinkedIn. And for the first time I started to promote this show there. And I think that that algorithm is so starved for like any sports business related content or just anything that's not about like your resume and sort of these self-helpy messages that it just blew up. And I'm like, <laughs> I've been trying so hard on Instagram and YouTube and uh, Twitter 
And I just put this like one half-assed post out there on LinkedIn about Robin Thurston at outside and how he wants to change the game in trail running. And like, it just skyrockets. So it's, it's funny how these like underserved channels in our space can work. It's absolutely true. Organic reach on LinkedIn is very real. It is very, very real. Organic reach on organic reach on Instagram is is really falling by the wayside. Not that people don't use it anymore, but organic reach is just different than it used to be for a lot of people. On LinkedIn, it's very different. The LinkedIn groups are really strong. So yeah. if you can get your way in, again, you can't be too spammy in a group, right? You, your marketing background will, will play a part in this. You have to be a, a member of the community. Kind of like if you go to a good example of this would be like the Boston Buddies Facebook page, right? Yeah. Like you can't go in there spammy or you're going to get booted fast, okay? But people are in there and they're in there all the time. They're dedicated runners who really work hard. And I think you've seen this on LinkedIn as well. These kinds of groups are out there. So like this is my, my co-host with Sports and Business Discourse, Jason Macluso. He was in some of these and like they were really useful and for a lot of ways, whether you wanted to get you know triathlon information or get triathlon friends or on occasion for him, he would actually get clients. He was a business, he was a, a financial advisor. He would occasionally get clients through there because he kind of mm-hmm. tailored his financial um, financial affairs advisor business to to athletes, basically. You know, for a financial advisor, it's like, it's, it's such a burn churn method of trying to get clients that you really have to find a niche and stick with it. And for him, it was kind of like the athlete set, which made sense because you can't be a triathlete without having a lot of money. It's just, it's so cost prohibitive. Like, it's basically like putting a, putting a big flag in the air. Like, I make a lot of money because I can buy a $7,000 bike and I'll do it again in two years. Um, and so that for him, that worked out really well. But I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, space in LinkedIn for that kind of work. So I can see why your, why your niche would, would, would serve as would, uh, would work well there. It does. But and I'm just reminded now, I think that the strategy that you used to build rambling runner back in the day of, uh, intentionally DMing people on social is huge too. We had, I mean, there's a concept that I abided by back in my early marketing days, which is you create a dream 100 of people that you just absolutely have to engage with because, they're going to create these other serendipitous, uh, meaningful coincidences in your life. And like they connect you with future guests and audience members and stuff. And uh, I think that you demonstrated the playbook perfectly in the podcast space. Yeah, for me, it was um, it was like learning at the feet of Gary Vaynerchuk in a way with some of his early book, early, early books like Jab, 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 Right Hook was a great book for this awesome book, um, which really which really it hammers home the idea of like giving without expectation and also giving, 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 or in this case, communicating before the ask. And I came from the asking world. I was um, before I said, before I was like really into the podcast space. And even there was some overlap there. I was a uh, fundraiser for various colleges in and around Rhode Island. And before that, I was a college basketball coach in which I spent a lot of my time recruiting. So I'm not averse to asking people for things and trying to get their attention for things and really trying to have them commit, whether it's, you know, a gift of $100,000 over five years if I'm fundraising or asking a 18 year old and or their parents to commit to four years um, playing basketball for me and the other coaching, other coaches in the coaching staff. So for me, it was a it was really a tour de force on um, how to approach people in a way in in a way that is authentic, is mm-hmm. not salesy, and without expectation. Mm-hmm. And doing so, and ultimately, part of that too is also 
finally going in for the ask. And um, the ask is obviously dependent on what your business is, but um, not forgetting that part either. Because sometimes people will give and give and give and give, and then ultimately not ask for anything, even though they've built up the equity in the trust and frankly, like the love with the people that they're communicating with where they could ask, you know, they could put something out in the world, say like, hey, I want you to, if it, whether it's a book or a new media venture or, what, or whatever it is to say, hey, I think this is worth your time. And I think this provides a lot of value and you trust me at this point. So you should at least look into it. It's funny too, when you reach a point, maybe it's in a podcast, but it could be any project, any venture where you have been giving for all this time and you haven't created those systems that, uh, you know, allow for, uh, the offer to happen and your customers actually get frustrated that there's not a way for them to, to somehow thank you and contribute. It's fascinating in my mind. Um, are you a full-time at this point in time? Are you, are you full-time in this venture as a podcast host? In a sense. So I also coach uh, runners. So I'm a coach with McCurdy trained. So I coach yeah. about 30 athletes through that. And then I also am a podcaster. So that's, those are my revenue streams. Well, you talked about uh, this incredibly small middle class that may or may not exist in the podcast world. And that largely it's, it's this world of the haves and the have nots in, in your opinion. In, in this and opinion, I'm happy to go into as much detail on this yeah. as you want. Well, I know like I, you've had people on the podcast who talk about shoe contracts. There's only so much you yeah. can say. I'm happy to go into whatever financial questions you have. Likewise here. I'm, I'm an open book. Um, what do you consider to be the middle class of podcasting in this space? Basically I would, I would, I would say it's people who could live off of their podcast. From like an independent standpoint, do you see that as like 40 to 60 grand a year? Maybe less for certain people, right? Yeah. I don't I don't think of it as a hard number. Uh, obviously, it depends on your family situation. Are you yeah. single? And do, do you have college loans? Like, there's, there's a lot of factors potentially, right? But I guess I would put it more like, could you live off of your podcast earnings, right? So it's kind of like when I was like, I was coaching college basketball. There's plenty of us who like worked work 80 hours a week and get like 25 grand a year for it. Right. Like that's just, that's what it means to be a college coach. Yeah. That's life, right. Whether it's any sport and like, you know, so all of the coaches felt the same way. And again, 25 grand is not a lot of money and you'd have to go work the camp circuit in the summer to try to make some extra dough and all of that. But ultimately like that was our job. Right. So I guess I would put it kind of this in the same terms. Like if you had to, could you live off this income? And mm -hmm. I guess that's how I would view the middle class of podcasting because the vast majority of people not only don't make any money, the vast majority of people in the podcast world lose money on podcasts yeah. because they're buying microphones. They're spending money on different apps, different editing software, different, you know, so on and so forth, right? Because for them, it's not, the idea isn't a business model. The idea is I really enjoy doing this yeah, and I'm going to spend money on it. Just like I really enjoy running and I spend money on it. And it really is no different for the vast majority of people. Now that's exactly why I started my podcast with, with that in mind. The fact that it grew up, blew up bigger than that is still a shock. Um, but ultimately like now, I think after about two years, of the show, I was at a point where if I had to leave my job, my family would be fine with the income that I was that I was bringing mm -hmm. in in conjunction with my wife, who's a teacher, uh, and her income. When you think about the the relative lack of opportunity in the podcasting space and the running world, do you think it's a function of the market size in terms of audience, like the addressable market from an audience standpoint, or do you think it's because the sponsors that we attract? 
just by nature of being in the running world, they don't have the budgets of like what Tim Ferriss can do with like eight sleep or oh, uh, now, you know, now you're, you're really entering my wheelhouse now, Finn. <laughs> How many times I have had this conversation with all of the podcasters that you listen to? It, it would be, it would, it's in the hundreds, right? Um, first of all, there is no shortage of people. That is, that is a fallacy because running is the most popular sport in America. It's the sport that the most people participate in. Okay. Mm. That is a fact. Okay. And if you see a runner, besides running shoes and clothes, what else do they almost always have with them? Headphones. They are listening to something, right? Some of them are listening to the Beastie Boys. They're listening to the songs of their youth, right? For me, it would be the Beastie Boys, right? Some of them are listening to the most recent stuff. Some are listening to podcasts. Some are listening to Audible. Some are listening to who knows what, right? But there are millions and millions of runners. And all of these runners, are listening to something on the run to say nothing of the time away from the run, right? I listen to plenty of podcasts when I'm walking the dog, when I'm doing the dishes, when I'm doing a whole host of things, right? I say that to say the audience, the potential audience size is astronomical, okay? The delta between the amount of p- amount of runners who listen to running podcasts and the amount of runners that there are who listen to anything is like it's so big, I can't even comprehend it. And this is the conversation, this is like the conversation starter I have with like Ali Feller, Lindsay Hine, Dylan Bowman, Mario Fraioli, Jason Fitzgerald, John Lovett, a million, all the podcasters I know. I always started the same way. I'm like, how can we close this gap? How do we do it? Like, cause this is, this is beneficial for all of us to close this gap. The rising tide will lift all the boats in the podcasting world because so many people are out here listening to things on the run, but they're not necessarily listening to running podcasts. Well, with the caveat that I'm sure we're all learning in real time, what's your, what's your current thesis on how we close that gap? I don't know. If I knew, man, I'd be doing it, right? I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be sitting here asking all these questions all the time. Um, I, you know, and I think a lot of it comes down to, it, there's, there's a bunch of reasons, right? You want to make sure there's engaging content. I'm, I think there's plenty of engaging content, but can there be more? No question about it. There could be way more engaging content. No doubt about it. Okay. But part of that is a catch 22 because in order to make high level engaging content, you have to spend a lot of time. And if you're spending a lot of time, then you need to be compensated. And if you're not being compensated, then you can't be compensated unless you are you know, providing a lot of content. And all of a sudden you get this, this vicious cycle, right? This, we saw this and happened in real time with the DNF podcast, right? So Zoe I'm Rome, amazing show, by the way, it's the best running podcast that has ever existed. The DNF podcast by Zoe Rome is the best running podcast in the history of running podcasts. Zoe did all of the interviews. She did all of the editing. Okay. And she did all of the splicing. It, 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 it is a NPR level production and it came out once every six weeks because she had to do all of it and it didn't have enough listeners to create a substantial revenue right Mm -hmm. and ultimately you know zoe is now like has like 15 jobs all of them super important and she is i'd say she's lebron james of running content because she can literally do everything and do everything better than you yeah by you i mean the universal you not finn melanson so Me too. So this is that was the case in point of like in terms of this was a great example of why some of these ventures are just so hard to get off the ground because you get into this 
not a death spiral, but all of a sudden you're like a cat chasing their tail in a sense. So that gets tricky. Um, Ultimately, though, I think a lot of this comes down to word of mouth. And I think a lot of it comes down to if you we all need to have a growth mindset when it comes to the industry at large. If we all promote each other's stuff in a organic, meaningful, and very real way, we're not simply helping the people that we're pumping up. We are helping ourselves as well because just the idea of this industry exploding is going to help everyone who's involved in it for the right reasons and for the long term. Uh, And I think that's one thing that I think we can do better at. I think it's not top of mind for anybody and why should it be? But at the same time, I think um, we can all we can all bring this genre of podcasting to the fore in a way that we haven't yet. And I, and I think hopefully we will in the, in the near future. Well, I know when I think specifically about my world, which is Trail and Ultra, there's a couple things that I'm super optimistic about. A, uh, I guess this applies to you too. We're still turning on the majority of America to a podcasting habit. I, I think it may be, and again... I need to fact check it here, but I think maybe 60 to 70% of the US right now regularly listens to podcasts. So I think there's still a lot of work to be done to close the gap there. And then I know for a fact in the trail world, our sport is like only just beginning to gain popularity in uh, places like China and Eastern Europe and South America. And I just think of all the people when they get introduced to, uh, to sports in those areas of the world, they'll turn to this media, which is kind of exciting. So yeah, and obviously like there's a there's a there's a potential language barrier issue there, but no, I I completely agree. But I will say that trail running has been at the forefront of the podcasting world for a while. They've been in on it. They've been in on the joke for a lot longer than Roadrunners have. And I think of when I started my show five years ago, you know, Trail Runner Nation was just crushing it. I mean, we didn't have again even now finding accurate podcast data in terms of downloads um, is kind of a murky subject. But you can at least get some rankings independent yeah. of what the actual numbers are uh, in terms of like you can't maybe you can't visualize the numbers but they can actually rank the episodes and and um and the and the podcast themselves within a structure that's kind of like a an odd little structure uh but at the same time there is some sort of semblance of rankings with that said the rankings of trail running podcasts have eclipsed on average the rankings of road running podcasts for a while and even from a amateur running perspective, trail running podcasts were there before road running podcasts. Right? When I started my podcast five years ago, part of the allure for people was that I was one of the only people to be talking to and about dedicated amateur runners, right? There were other podcasts that were going on like Lindsay's and Allie's. And shortly after I started mine, Mario's and Carrie Tollison's as well. And Tina, I think was, uh, she didn't have her current podcast. She was working for runners connect at the time, but they were all talking to pros, Whereas yeah. Trail Runner Nation, some of those other shows that the names um, now escape me, I don't know when 10 Junk Mile started, but some of these other groups were, they were also talking to pros, but they were, they were talking to amateur runners. And I think that was part of the allure. And I think that helped with their growth. And um, even today, I mean, shoot, if you look at downloads per episode, the SWAT podcast is at the top. So some work all play. Allie Feller's show is the most downloaded podcast within the running sphere. Um, she puts out more shows than David and Megan. So like you kind of balance that out, right? She puts out. Where do you go for those rankings, week. by the way? I, I find them at Chartable. Okay. 
I always thought that those rankings were based on the velocity of new subscribers. Cause like I've been high on the rankings before, but like, I know for a fact that the people below me at a certain time have way bigger audiences than I do. For sure. Yeah. So if you go to the rankings of a, of a show that is algorithm based. Okay. And new subscribers mean more than a download. Okay. However, if you go to the, um, the rankings for an episode that doesn't have an algorithm that is simply that episodes because you're not, you're not subscribing to an episode. You're subscribing to a show. So an episode is much more of a, of an actual ranking with that said, if a show has been around for a long time, there isn't going to be this huge influx of new subscribers coming in in like in a certain week. So that kind of waters itself down after a while. If it's an established show, they're not going to be like, Oh man, the Bramley runner got like 10,000 new subscribers this week. That just would never happen. Right. Just like if you look at like the top 10 bestseller list for books, oftentimes you'll get two, basically two categories, right? The new releases and the ones that have been there for a hell of a long time. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the same idea. Man, I'm learning something new every day on this job. Um, well, okay. So I, I think what's fascinating to me there is you're, you're essentially saying that the history of the road and track and field podcasting space is maybe six to eight years old, whereas the trail running space is like 12 to 14 years old, which I think is it's very interesting. I guess it comes down to just like historical time and place and the right actors being in, in the right scenes at the right time. But, uh, I, but I, even then, I don't even know. I don't know when it started. For, yeah. for a lot of these shows. I think Allie's and Lindsay started pretty close to when mine did. Yeah. Um, I don't know when Trevor Nation started. Um, I know, I think Bill Simmons was one of the first people to start this, but his was like preceded like, you know, like his his show preceded like wireless devices. I know. Like, you so, you know, we're talking, I think his was like 2006 or 2008 or something like, like when the iPhone came out, that was the, that was the big leap. Uh, I think some people prognosticated that with like Alexa and things like that, that that was going to be the next leap because you're going to have like a potential audio function at all times within your house. Mm. Obviously the major caveat there is a lot of people who are listening to some of these shows are, I shouldn't say this. Now they're not all parents, but even if it's like you're a kid listening to it, like if you're in a family setting, no matter yeah. which person you are in the family, you can't just listen to a podcast on Alexa because the other people in the house would be like, I don't want to listen to this or like you need to get some sort of like communal buy-in. So I think people thought that there was going to be a leap uh, in some, some listenership. Once those exploded, that didn't happen, but everyone has a phone on them anyway. So it's not that big of a deal. Um, but I think, you know, then you get like the, the, the CarPlay apps obviously helped in terms of like being able to just like choose things on the screen of your car versus, you know, fiddling with your phone the whole time. You know, you have to figure it out. Either way, we know this. We already we know audio isn't going anywhere. Yeah, It's not going anywhere. It's been around for a while and it allows you to do two things at once. So that's how we know it's not going anywhere because, you know, you can walk, you can, you know, do the dishes and listen to something. You can walk the dog and listen to something. You can do a whole host of things and listen to something. Whereas doing those things and watching something is a little trickier. I have, I'm looking at a whole list of questions that I want to go down on this topic, but I, I've realized I've, I've totally buried the lead here. We're 40 minutes in. We've barely talked about relay. So I think um, we'll have to do a round two and just, I can say as long as you want, Finn, this well, is my favorite part of the day. Let's talk about really though, and, and maybe we'll slightly preface it by touching on something you mentioned earlier in this conversation, which is that um, 
could be the case. And at least in your point of view, a lot of these legacy media brands in our space are starting to lose some of their audience, some of their clout, some of their influence. And uh, some of their staff, some of their staff. And uh, why do you think that is? Well, we're seeing it amongst this isn't this isn't just germane to running media. Right. Name the newspaper that isn't going through this. Right. I mean, this is just this the shape of media right now. There is a purging of sorts going on, not because people aren't interested in media. People are consuming more media now than ever. The difference is they have a lot more choices Mm -hmm. and a lot of their choices um, are potentially free. And we're all kind of coming to the grips, especially in the running media side of like, okay, where can we house all of this stuff? Right. So right now, when I say this stuff, I'm referring to the fact that they're, you know, if you look at some of the legacy brands within running media, they have traditionally been places where you would read things, right? Whether it's a magazine or on the internet, it was basically reading based. Okay. Mm -hmm. If there was a video, it was probably a short video component of a longer written piece. And there is, was basically no audio connected to it. Right. Like I'm, I'm, I'll tell you some funny stories offline that I'm not going to share here, but there is like, there was basically no audio connected to a lot of these. So you had these huge gaps. And if you listen to um, the new episode today from free trail um, and you, or you could just read the manifesto that Dylan wrote, he talks about this and, you know, Quinn Malcolm coming on part of free trail uh, as the editor in chief, you know, them filling the gap of like, Hey, we have audio, we have video. We don't have any written word here, or we don't have any, um, any serious investment in the written word. And this was, you know, Corinne Malcolm coming in and taking the lead on that. And that's really exciting. And basically what you're seeing is there aren't a lot of media ventures that have gone all in on all three in the running space. And that right now is playing itself out. We'll see how it goes in the short term and long term. But ultimately, that's been the the missing piece in terms of um, a brand really embracing all three and doing it well with high quality people. Shout out to Corinne Malcolm, by the way. I think, again, we were talking about Free Trail and I Run Far earlier. Corinne ended her column at I Run Far and, and went full in on uh, Free Trail, which, which I think is very interesting. And I guess that's probably a conversation for a different episode. But and maybe it does have to do with the waning influence of these legacy brands. But when you think about a new venture like Relay and what's involved in the fact that there are going to be a lot of personalities to manage and things to coordinate... Uh, what makes you think that there is space in this world for for another media company? Oh, there's plenty of space. That's that's never the problem. There's no, there's no such thing as a lack of a space for innovation. That's never been the case, right? There maybe there's lack of a space for the same old thing. Yeah, absolutely, right. If you come out and you're like, "Hey, I'm another small private liberal arts college in in New England. Come and get me." Like, no, we have enough. We don't need that anymore, right? Well, However. Yeah. If you're bringing something to the table that hopefully is not only innovative, but high quality with high quality people, that's also not pulling out high quality stuff, but also putting out stuff in quantity and doing so in a way that may be enhanced or a little different than some of the things you've seen elsewhere. I don't think there is such a thing as there's not enough space. In addition to that, first of all, I don't think there's any runner out there who would say that they were overly enthused with the shape of running the running media landscape i am i'm a someone who takes in a ton of running media content 
in an, an unbelievable amount. With that said, there are obvious open places in the market yeah. here. And I think that, that, that they are ripe for people to come in and to, and to make waves and hopefully put out good stuff and not to do so in just in the short term, right? To be in it for the long term. And I know for sure that there's plenty of space for it. This would be like in 1996, someone being like, all right, like ESPN has it. Sports Illustrated has it. The Sporting News has it. There's no more room in general yeah. sports media for a new company, David Portnoy. There's no Barcel Sports will not work. Well, look at Sports Illustrated now. Sporting yeah. news doesn't even exist. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. there as as the especially as technology shifts. Yep. There will always be room for innovation. The question isn't is there room? The question is is it good enough? Yep. And I think that relay is. Yeah. And by the way, and I I need to criticize myself here. I think I asked the wrong question, maybe a bad question, but and maybe I need your help here. And I where I'm trying to drive this to is where do you think the gaps are? in the content marketplace. And then in addition to that, with the content that does exist, what do you think can be improved upon and why? Okay. So I think some of the things that I really enjoy right now are there are some really high level freelance writers in the running media landscape, both on the road running side, on the trail side, and plenty of people who write for both. Okay, they are they are making a living as freelance writers, and they're, I'm sure they'd be fascinating people to have on your podcast. And they do a great job. Um, and they put out the preponderance of articles that people read about running in a mm. lot of places. Okay, now those people do great, great work. With that said, I think one of the drawbacks of having a company that relies mostly on freelancers is that you lose potential collaboration and teamwork within mm. a team. Now. The problem with having a team, however, is that you can't pay people, everyone can't pay everyone a full-time wage to then bring them in to create the team. So there's our, there are drawbacks to this in terms of how to create that. So when you, you to, to more directly answer the question that you asked, some of the things that I saw that were open spaces for people to come in and potentially have an impact were creative and collaborative work that comes yeah. out consistently. Okay, creative and collaborative work. We saw this with Sidious Mag. We saw this. We all saw it at the national at the national championships, at the world championships, I should say. Right, extremely creative and collaborative work, and it took everyone's breath away who loved track and field. They did such a great job. Yeah, it was awe inspiring to see. Chris, Kyle, the whole team. Congratulations on that. There is nothing, nothing stopping the rest of the running media for doing similar type things, and I think this is where. This was basically the recruiting pitch that I was putting out to the people who joined Relay was if you come in, first of all, in order for people to be okay with a paywall and potentially be okay with a new um, medium, not everyone has been on Patreon before. Mm. A lot of people have, especially in trail running. They, <laughs> trail running seems to adopt everything early, um, you know, but a lot of people have been on Patreon and some people are maybe a little weary about paywalls. I was like, we need to have basically a hell yeah roster of people because if it's not if people don't get that hell yeah vibe from the, the team or the community or the content then it's going to be a no either a hard no or a soft no so we needed great people and we needed those people to be fantastic team players so they yeah. weren't just putting out solo pieces of content so that we were creating high level pieces of content either collaboratively in one piece 
or, and you're going to see this this week on Relay, maybe one individual putting out a piece and then the whole team coming together and mushrooming that piece into three or four larger pieces. And having that sort of experience with high-level individuals who are coming together with the right spirit and with a long-term plan. And I think ultimately that's the idea. And I apologize for all the, the devil's advocate type questions here. Please, but I'm, I love it. I'm, I'm just absolutely fascinated. Um, I think one of the taglines for Relay is that in time, it's going to be the best place on the internet for running content. And when I look at the roster you've put together, to your credit, it is absolutely world-class. But a lot of these people have commitments in other places. Like you look at Zoe Rome, she's the editor of Trailrunner Mag. You look at Confusey. He she's also the managing, she's editor-in-chief of Trailrunner Mag. She's also the managing editor of Women's Running. Oh, she just know, got promoted. Incredible. incredible. Um, and Confusey has this thriving YouTube channel. I guess, how do you work around those incentives where they have all of these other forces pulling at them to produce equal if not better content in those places but then they have this obligation here that's why we needed a big team this is why it couldn't be three people okay this is why we need the big team and we could say okay team we need everyone to basically do at least be part of three pieces of content per month yeah okay you can do more certainly but if everyone does is a part of three pieces of content per month, either on their own or collaboratively with another person, then we're going to get to over 20 pieces of content a month, which is a high level of output. And we're going to be putting out some really good stuff. So that was the key. If we went in with three people, then that would be a major issue, yeah. right? It'd be people putting out seven, eight, nine pieces of content a month each. And because it's a new venture, not really getting paid for it in the beginning. So that would be a huge barrier to entry. But because we have nine people, that does allow for this to be a part-time endeavor for, for, for everyone involved while still putting out full-time output from a cumulative standpoint. Maybe I'll throw one more example your way. So like with Kafuzi, for example, he has 100,000 YouTube subscribers I bet he, you know, and, you, and you've described Patreon, I think, beautifully as a paywall in a box. I love that, by the way. I'm going to start using that everywhere. But he could, I think he could conservatively convert 2% of his 100K YouTube subscribers across Patreon, maybe charge him three bucks a month, and la-di-da, he's got six grand a month coming in from, uh, just from that alone, just from like two minutes of work on Patreon. So mm -hmm. do you think that like, I guess where I'm driving with that example is, do you think that the network effects of these nine creators is going to be more valuable than like what he could do there on his own. Potentially. I think it could. I think in the long term it absolutely could. I think the 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 kind of the unsaid part of that question is why hasn't he done a Patreon <laughs> by himself to get that sort of income? I love that guy why? by the way. He's awesome. He's great. Because it's because he didn't want to, right? He didn't want to put stuff behind a paywall at first. All right. I had I talked to him for two star too. Right. But that, and that's, this has proven not to work. The, the tip jar model of Patreon does not work as a significant, a significant stream of revenue, even for huge producers. Okay. Yeah. It's very, very small. And ultimately, it feels like corporate philanthropy. You have people who are being like, oh, I'm not going to support you this month. I'm supporting March of Dimes. Like, th this is not the lane I want to be in. As someone who used to fundraise for a living, I can tell you I don't want to be in that lane. Okay. Yeah. So that's not it. The paywall in the box model is absolutely correct. And you're right. There is a chance if Kara Goucher wants to start her own Patreon page, 
would it potentially, if she did, and she did all the work on that, and she put out five pieces of content, six, seven pieces of content a month on that page, could it do well? Yes. There is no question about that. I think that scaling it back a little bit, maybe doing 30 to 40% of the output for Relay that she would do on her own, but having this sense of teamwork, this is the thing that is so different, is that, and you know this, because you have a solo venture. When you are a part of a team, it just, you should, Finn, it's not going to happen, but you should sit in on one of our, our relay phone calls where we, we all we were banning ideas back and forth. It's great. It's so much fun. You're part of a team. It's just more exciting. Also, it feels more safe. And you also get this sense of like, I can take big swings here because what's the worst that's going to happen? And yeah. that's part of the creative side of things that we can push the, not push like, push the envelope. We're not out here trying to be like, you know, you know, we're not we're not out here trying to you know um, do wild things, but from a creativity standpoint, we do want to try new things, and I think that this does allow for that. And I will say this: ultimately, if you put out great stuff with great people for a long period of time, I just believe that people will pay for it if the price is reasonable compared to the value that you put out. Again, if you go into any venture and your hope is to hit the ground running and just just nail it right from the gun, it's not going to happen, right? And that's not it's not what happened with Relay either. We didn't come out here and get like a thousand subscribers the first week. No, but we didn't expect that to happen either. So that's that's totally fine, and that's not only fine. It was one hundred percent expected. And ultimately, I think because we all believe in each other and we believe in the work that we're going to be putting out, and I can tell you because I know what's coming, the work is going to be absolutely fantastic and really impactful that it's going to, you know, it's ultimately going to bring people along. And for listeners out there that are like, Finn, why, why are you uh, attacking Matt here? I'm not. I, I love what you're doing. Um, I'm just I'm just fascinated. Uh, no, these are all questions that I, because I test drove this idea for a month and a half with dedicated listeners of Rambling Runner. So people that I knew that liked the show and who had given me, you know, love for the show and were also totally fine giving me like, hey, you should try this in the past, mm -hmm. right? That core group of, of people who I'd gotten to know over the last three to five years, I tested this idea with 20 of them. Mm -hmm. So I came into this like with a full FAQ page written out. Here are the questions we're getting. Right. We need to be able to answer these questions in terms of like the kind of value we're going to be able to put out there. So th the questions you're asking me right now are are the exact same questions when I was test driving this idea with potential consumers. Awesome. Well, that's cool. So you I mean, you have a you have a case study just with the people that you've tested in your network that this can work. Um, interestingly, you said that this tip jar corporate philanthropy type model can't really work with Patreon, but even they agree. I had conversations yeah. with them. I'm like, yeah. this is paywall in the box. It's not like the tip jar. They're like, we hate when people only do tip jar. Like it doesn't work. Even they but say it. In, in other, maybe, and maybe our own running world is, is too narrow, but in any other market, are there any examples of this working that you turn to? Because like with, I know Strava, for example, has struggled with the paywall outside, mm -hmm. has struggled with the paywall. And like, I, I mean, I just had Robin on the podcast and he, he said, look, like media can no longer cover the full cost of our business like it used to. And we've tried to turn to memberships and like, we have to put a ton of value behind it, I think, to make it work. So um, I don't know. What else are you relying on for confidence? Yeah. I mean, I think it's going back to the Patreon side of things. There are plenty of Patreon pages that are crushing it. And they're basically people who view Patreon as just another way of basically like, this is my website. 
right? So this, this that's how they view it, right? Mm. You have you have Ethan Newberry on the podcast. That's what he's going to tell you. It's like Patreon is our website, right? We have YouTube for shoe reviews. We put out other things, but ultimately, Patreon is the hub of their business. Okay, and there's a lot of ways of going about this. Free Show just launched a traditional type website and good for them. And it's fantastic. It looks great. I'm a member of Free Trail Pro and I and I would want everyone who's listening to this to do the same. They're doing great work. Go become a Free Trail Pro member. But that's not the only way of doing things, especially if you don't want to put a ton of resources from a, um, a revenue perspective into the venture right away. And this is what Patreon has allowed us to do and other people as well is that we didn't have to put $30,000 into a marketing team, into a website, into all this stuff. And that's the reality of launching a media company for a lot of people is a yeah. huge initial investment in capital. And we did not need to do that. Now, the, the potential downside of that is you also don't like hit the ground running with like this amazing product, right? Like Patreon is great, but are there, is it perfect? No, of course it's not perfect. Right. Like there's there's plenty of, you know, from a usability perspective, it's not as good as like a perfectly crafted website. But Mm. you know what? The trade off is well worth it, in my opinion. And the people like I forget the name of it. I always forget the name of it. And it's because because this isn't like my genre of entertainment. But there's like there's a bachelor Patreon um, uh, channel, which like they come on live right after the bachelor and they pump it out. They have great people. And, you know, and then, and then to another show, middle of the week, it's all Bachelor focused, but they've been doing it for years. They have great people doing it, and they're really good at sharing it outside of Patreon, which is the other key. If you have a paywall subscription model, yeah, then you need to have resources to spread the word of your content far and wide and not rely simply on your subscribers to do the work for you. And that is huge because if you don't do that, all of a sudden you're the athletic and no one knows what's on your website because all they see are these stupid Twitter ads about, hey, join us for this amount of money. And they never see an ad of like, what is the actual content you are providing? I will Mm -hmm. see an athletic ad. I'll see the same ad for six straight months. It's like, hey, we're doing it. We did this piece on this guy. It's like, yeah, you did that in March. Why am I still seeing that? ad in september like tailor it a little bit here and i think that's the key thing and this is why part of the reason for the venn diagram of people in relay was people who have a history of content creation people who have their own audience and people who are really good team players they had to have all three and part of this was they needed their own audience and this was why if they didn't have their own audience then sharing what was happening behind the paywall would become very difficult I'm I'm laughing about that athletic example because uh, I, you know I'm, I'm a Twitter power user and for whatever reason this one trail runner promoted article has been in my feed the last like two weeks and it's all about Jim Walmsley leaving Chamonix last Sunday fatigued but uplifted about his hopes next year and uh, it's September hard 19th, hitting hard and, hitting uh, hard hitting but also like he left Chamonix <laughs> three weeks ago and I just saw this today for the sixth straight day um, and what, what do they mean by leaving Chamonix? he's already said he's living there like, was he's going on vacation I, I, yeah. <laughs> come Whoever on is writing the come copy on. Their ads is just cracking me up but um <laughs> okay so i know we talked earlier about how people like myself you anybody that's a podcaster in the industry should have this abundance mindset about the total addressable market of listeners but in your case and i hate using this analogy but you have nine mouths to feed in this relay uh, network of creators, Um, Ginger Runner, you know, Kim and Ethan are two people, 
But uh, do you think that the market of people willing to pay for premium content is large enough to make this sustainable in the long run? Because, and I'll say one more thing, like when I look at Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, people complain about it, but they really don't have much of a problem, in my opinion, like being the product and paying for content with their attention. But they do have this huge problem paying with their pocketbooks. So I'm curious what you think about there. Yeah, well, I think when it comes down to what will people pay for, it's such an interesting thing because it's all in relation to what, right? So this is the thing. It depends on what genre you're putting the product into, right? Like I have people who, there's plenty of people who are listening to this who see no problem spending between $150 to $150, and $150 per month for a running coach. And they view that as a completely worthwhile use of their money. And they have no problem with it. I am one of those people. I pay a coach and I am a coach. So I'm on mm. both ends of this side, on both sides of this transaction. Okay. So, okay. So I'm willing to pay $150 for a coach. Am I willing to pay $9 for a subscription? Right. It depends on what we were comparing it to. Okay. Ultimately saying, is this sustainable? It absolutely is. Of course. What does this sustainable mean? Right. I don't want to be the lawyer who's like, what, is, what does is mean? Right. What does mean mean? But it's, um, is it going to be, my full-time job in the next six months? No, it's not. And I'm fine with that. Will it ever be my full-time job? I honestly don't know. Like, will it, have, you know, in terms of it, if it, in order to be my full-time job, we would need to have at least 5,000 subscribers, right? Because how Relay works, people don't know. There's nine people on the team. We charge $9 a month. We share the revenue evenly, okay? Patreon takes 8%. That's how it works. Okay. Also there's sales tax. So that's how it works for us. Okay. So we basically split it nine ways minus the, the parts that come out. Okay. So it's easy to do the math, right? If you see the amount of patrons we're going to, we're going to start publicizing uh, the patron amount before the end of the year It's private right now. We will make it public later. Um, you'll be able to very easily do the math on how much money each person is making within relay. Okay. From a sustainability perspective, I'm not too focused on that right now because mm. I know this. If you put out great stuff and you let people know about it and you can do it consistently with wonderful people, the result is going to be just fine. How many times in our running lives do we hear focus on the process, not the result? Don't worry about the race. Worry about your training today. This is the same lessons that we need on the business side. This is exactly why Rambling Runner worked. Yeah. The first eight months of the podcast, first six, I'm sorry, the first six months of the podcast, I had 8,000 downloads. I didn't know any better. I didn't know that was God awful. I also didn't care because I didn't get in it for revenue. The following year, I had 950,000 downloads. All of a sudden, it was like, wow, this could be something. Just because I'm successful in podcasting right now doesn't mean that the cycle all of a sudden gets shorter in my next venture. There's no guarantee of that, but I do know that if we do the right things and we continue to do them and we let people know about the work that we're doing, that ultimately it will be successful to some degree in terms of, you know, from a revenue perspective, but hopefully much more importantly from an impact perspective, because if it is impactful and it is entertaining, then mm. there's no way it can't succeed. I am just realizing 70 minutes into this conversation, I've been a terrible host. I have not even set the table for what Relay is. And I want to make sure that there is some sort of call to action at the end of this episode. And I think it's going to help some of the other questions I want to ask you. So 
you talk, we've talked a lot about these, these nine creators, and I think it'll, it's important to name them and to talk about what they're specializing in and if and when one of our listeners signs up, what the value proposition is here. Absolutely. All right. So if you've been listening to the conversation so far, you probably have gotten the gist of what Relay is. Relay is a running media venture housed on Patreon that has nine, well, at least eight elite people plus me working on content, 20 pieces of content a month that is going to be highly creative and collaborative work, written, audio, and video. Okay. So the people in Relay, which is like, these are the best people. This was the most fun part of it. Marcus Brown, Lindsay Hine, Kafuzi, Zoe Rome, Stephanie Flippin, Peter Bromka, Kara Goucher, and Carolyn Sue. Real quick, Marcus Brown lives over in London. He's actually like an ambassador right now for the Abbott World Marathon Majors. He's done a ton of work for them and actually went from a 430 marathoner to sub three. Lindsay mm-hmm. Hine is the is the host of the I'll Have Another podcast with Lindsay Hine. If you listen to this, you probably have already mm-hmm. heard of that podcast. Kafuzi, as you mentioned before, is has 100,000 YouTube subscribers, is one of, if not the best, running shoe reviewer on YouTube. There's a bunch of people that I like. He is just as good as any of them. Um, Zoe Rome, the LeBron James of running content. Uh, she is the managing, the chief, I'm sorry, the editor-in-chief of Trailrunner Mag, also the managing editor of Women's Running. Stephanie Flippin, former USATF 100-mile champion, a doctor as well, and a coach with Lift Run Perform. Peter Bromka, one of the best writers in the running space, also a sub-elite marathoner. He was in the 2021 uh, best of run, best of sports media, or best of sports writing almanac comes out every year. He was in that anthology. Yeah. Carolyn Sue took the basically started from a Instagram profile of zero and took Diverse We Run to the cover of Runner's World, which was absolutely amazing. And Kara Goucher needs no introduction. She's just amazing. <laughs> With all that said, and thank you for setting the table. Uh, listeners of this show that might be interested in subscribing what are the costs to access this content and uh, maybe talk about like frequency and, and within like this mix of audio video blog, uh, some sample pieces of content that they can expect to consume as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I should say, I mentioned audio video and written uh, part of the video piece and a big part of the video piece is going to be live shows. So we're going to have three to five live shows. That's the creative collaborative kind of angle to it. Yeah, exactly. So like some of the ones we're going to be doing Stephanie flipping and I, I'm going to be doing a live uh, Coach's Corner episode every month. So we'll go in with a topic and then we'll do Q&A at the end of it. Um, Kara Goucher, Lindsay Hine, and Carolyn Sue are doing a monthly book club. Well, at the beginning of the month, they'll announce what the book is. At the end of the month, they will then break down that book and then also have a lot of subscriber interaction. We're going to do Relay subgroups talking about certain topics um, that have come up uh, that month on Relay. We're going to have Lindsay is going to be doing a live show with either a pro runner or a pro team every month as well. Uh, in addition to the writing and the, the podcast content uh, that we do, the idea is to have at least 20 pieces of content per month, which means if something didn't come out today, it will be coming out tomorrow. <laughs> That's kind of like how it's going to work. We're probably not going to go more than two days in a row, if ever, even two days in a row without putting out a piece of content. Um, and that's kind of how we've been doing it. Uh, the idea is to have some very impactful pieces. A good uh, example of this would be the writing piece that Zoe Rome did during our free preview week last week, where she talked about, or I think the title of it was uh, My Body is Not a Brand. It was a really good uh, essay on her relationship with Instagram specifically, but social media in general. We have hopefully some lighthearted and entertaining pieces uh, from time to time. I put out one today, which is, it was a departure from what I usually put out. I, I put a, um, 
I read a piece out today. I think it was like almost 2000 words of uh, five fictional races, five, five races in fictional landscapes. So we had like, like the, um, like the, uh, yellow brick road, ultra marathon, right? They say the yellow brick road is 300 miles. So breaking down what that would be, we had the Springfield 3.3 K. So from Simpsons fame, kind of getting mapping out Springfield, what you would go by, make sure you hit all the, make sure you hit all of the, um, the landmarks that you'd want to hit and also measuring out like what, how far am I actually going here and try to measure it out? Um, and things like that, or like the, the Hogsmeade to Hogwarts, uh, magical mile again something creative and entertaining um and then also some really impactful pieces we got something coming out this wednesday that kara goucher is putting out in conjunction with her husband adam goucher um that is going to be really really good and i can't wait till that comes out when is, when is this podcast coming out we turn these out pretty quick i mean it could be as early as like wednesday or thursday of this all week. right then i'll say it right now because it's because this because her thing's coming out on wednesday so it's a it's a a uh a piece on basically her trying not to be the psycho parent Right. So she has been, she has been in the races. She has seen the psycho parents when she was little. And now her son is now the athlete and she is trying not to be the psycho parent. And Adam is the same way. And they're talking about like their experiences with that. And then we're going to blow it up. We're going to do a live show, um, with, with this, you know, we talked about Kafuzi. He is, he's going through this right now with his kids and he's, we're going to do a live show and we're going to have some interaction around that. Um, and then I think they're also going to think Adam and, um, Kara are also going to publish a audio piece that goes along with the essay they're putting out. And we're going to be doing that basically once a month. We're probably going to put out one major, um, not major piece, but like a, a, a kind of a central, a central piece. And then we'll then have like a domino effect on some other pieces, whether it's reaction pieces within relay or live shows that go along with it as well. And oftentimes when we have that sort of cascading effect from a certain piece, we'll usually make that piece uh, free to the public. So that's exactly what we're going to do with Keras. We're going to make Keras, uh, we're going to take that um, outside of the paywall structure, make that free to the public, and then basically take all of the, um, the, the follow-up pieces that stem from it will then go back behind the paywall, but just to give people a sense of what, of what we're providing. And I think it's a good marketing ploy because some people may want to, some people may not learn about relay for another three months and we want them to be experienced what that, what that's like. So we'll probably pick one or two pieces a month um, that will come out for free. Just, I think it's a, it's a good marketing, a good marketing tool. And I think it's just a stage for um, follow-up pieces to gain traction uh, behind the paywall. For super fans of the sport and people that are like you and I, they're just consuming running content left and right, and they want to understand how this fits into the landscape of everything that already exists and that is being built up. So I think about what Sidious Mag is doing, specializing in pro track and field, and what Free Trail is doing, specializing in like the culture, but a lot more in trail running and just anybody, anybody else that's that's in a relative in this like current generation of, of running content where does this fit in? And I guess when you say like, this is going to be the best running content period, do, do you see this as being the umbrella for everything else? Well, I think what you just brought up is exactly how I frame it is so what Sidious Mag is doing for pro running and free trail is doing for trail running that we see ourselves doing for kind of the dedicated amateur runners. Okay. Okay. So we're, we're gearing it towards them, right? Not that Sidious and free trail don't do that, but a lot of what their content is also, they focus a lot on pros, right? We've seen Dylan and Corinne at UTMP, at Western States, talking to these people in their podcasts, and it's great. I listen to all of them, right? Ours is going to be kind of four dedicated amateur runners 
with them in mind the whole time. And they don't have to merely be roadrunners, right? They can be trail runners as well. Uh, but that's kind of our niche within it. But I think all three of these ventures are kind of coming at the same problem with just a different, not different lens, but just a different niche within running itself. Um, but you're right. I do say all the time. It's almost like the thing that I keep repeating, um, maybe because I'm trying to like will it into existence, is that we're going to be the best place on the internet for running content. And it's really simple. Finn, when I say that, that is just me expressing my utter and complete confidence in the other people on this team. That's what it is. It has mm -hmm. nothing to do with other ventures, other businesses, or other people within the industry. I look at the eight people who are on Relay besides me, and I say, this is the cream of the crop, and I can't imagine it being anything else. Do you think that the model and the resources that you have right now, as we're speaking in September 2022, do you think that if we move out a year or five years down the road that the general business model and the way to access content and how it's going to look behind Patreon is going to be roughly the same? Or do you expect evolutions to happen over time? There will definitely probably be an evolution. Um, I can see ourselves, I can see us maybe creating our own website at some point. I don't think it made any sense to do it in the beginning, uh, but I can certainly see that happening at some point. I think if we yeah, the, the hard part is that we don't know what technology is coming. So I think we're certainly not going to be ignorant to it. And we'll definitely try to make sure that we expand into it when where we need to. Um, but I think whether we, you know, how long we stick with Patreon for, whether that's for a year or 10 years, I honestly, I couldn't tell you, but I'm not wedded to the fact that we have to be on Patreon in order for this to succeed. Well, Matt, I've really enjoyed this conversation and I, I know I said it early on, but I just wanted to salute you for your willingness to experiment and to be entrepreneurial and to build and, and just generally to just relentlessly try to make an impact in our space. And uh, like I said, you, you know, your podcasting was a huge inspiration for me. And uh, I know for a fact, Single Track wouldn't be here without it. And so uh, we'll make sure to link to all of the relevant social media, the Rambling Runner podcast. Um, I am personally going to go on record here saying that I will subscribe to Relay right after this episode. Yes. So um, it has <laughs> right. my stamp of approval, despite the gauntlet of questions I just ran you through. Um, so that's it. Is there anything else you want to leave the audience with before we go? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think when you hear people like me, people like Dylan, other people in the industry talking about our ventures and trying to drum up support for them, Believe me, we would much rather be talking about other things. As excited as I am to talk about this with you, Finn, we, we would. And I, I'll tell you this. We love the idea of the stuff that we are creating. It comes from a point, a place of, of genuine love, not only for the work itself, but for the people that we're trying to build it for. And that's the idea. So there's plenty of people out there who say, but what about sponsored content that's something we didn't get into today like why can't it just all be sponsored like i don't care about ads but like you we can do that but that is a fickle way of creating revenue you, mm. it's it's you don't know when it's gonna when it's gonna come also in a lot of times it's a race to the bottom from a you know in terms of a, a pay perspective and and this is the hardest part is that we don't want to have sponsored content we just don't also we have people on this team that are sponsored by different things. <laughs> so we can't have like, you know, Kerry Goucher is working with Wazelle and Ultra and 70 Flippin is sponsored by Hoka and so on and so forth, right? No one's sponsoring me, right? Maybe the Ginger Runner can sponsor me. I got freckles. I mean, what the heck? But, you know, so we, there, there is some limitations there as well. But so ultimately, there's a lot of ways for um, 
people to get content, but there's not a lot of ways for people to produce content and get paid for it. And ultimately, if there is content out there that you really, really love, understand that if no one is paying the people who are making that content, it is not going to be around for very long. So I'm not telling people to do anything that they're not comfortable with, but I oftentimes hear people say, well, there's a lot of free content out there. I'm like, okay. And that's true. But sometimes you get what you pay for. And if you really like something, I think the outlay in funds is totally fine. And the one I, when I talked about relay, when I was pitching it to the people who joined the other creators who came on, what I kept telling them was this, I was like, year and a half ago, two years ago now, I don't know. In COVID times, time means nothing. But uh, I feel like I I never know. I feel feel like I'm still stuck in 2019. But ultimately, when I saw the bundle come out, and you may remember this, it was Hulu, it was ESPN Plus, and it was Disney Plus. They came out with a bundle, it was $7.99 a month. What did the vast majority of people who saw that say? They said, holy cow, I can't not do that. Even if I don't care about Hulu, this price is so low for all the value. And that's ultimately the pitch with Relay, is that we're going to be providing so much value with such great people that it's that, hell yeah, I want to be a part of that experience. Well, like I said, I, I'm looking forward to doing a round two at some point, checking in on, on Relay's status. But again, like I said, I'm looking at a whole list of just being a podcaster related questions and business of sport questions that we'll have to tackle later on. Anytime, my man. Anytime.